Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello everyone, it's John Robbins here, a new voice to some, a familiar voice to others, but I wanted to tell you about another mystical bar. Well, it's not so much a bar, it's a mystical pub where all desire and hope and dreams meet and meld. Uh, I am the landlord of the Moon Underwater and with me is regular, the lovely Robin Allender. Say hello, Robin. Hello. And here at the Moon Underwater, we invite a guest every week to create their dream pub. Now, why are you hearing this on the socially distant sports bar feed? Well, because we've got a special bonus treat for you. Because this week, our guest was none other than the one and only Mr. Mike Bubbins. And we are dying for you to hear the conversation we had with Mike. Uh, Other guests include David Bumble Lloyd, Izzy Sutty, Alistair Green, Tim Key, Tony Blackburn, Sarah Millican, and, apologise for the language, shit London Guinness. So we are giving you this episode for free to listen to part one of Mike's visit to the moon underwater. And you can search for the moon underwater on your podcast provider of choice to hear part two. You can also head over to moonunderpod.com for our Patreon, live tour dates, and all other business. We thank you so much. Uh, for listening to this extra little treat. And we also thank uh, the guys for hosting this episode on their feed. We do hope you enjoy it. Deep, deep, deep in the alleys of the mind a chill wind blows. Funnel through doorways and stoops, arches and awnings. Oh, wind in the mind! Vortices of chance Blow me hither and yonder To the warm corners The glowing lights The foaming pints Of the moon underwater everyone and welcome inside to the moon underwater this mythical mystical desirous pub where i landlord john robbins invite guests to create their own dream pub um and we're excited here in the moon underwater because just coming up from the the, there's a sort of well i want to call it a mezzanine but it's a sort of lower mezzanine it's not a cellar but it's sort of a a hither floor Coming up from the hither floor now with his uh, with his bag of books and his big old packet of crisps. <laughs> it's the lovely Robin Allender taking up his seat at the bar to help me guide our guests through their choices. Hello to thee, Robin. Hello, John. How are we? We are well. How are we? How aren't we? Mm. I have to admit I am... I'm fresh from a, a a trip to mystical pubs well to pubs in the the other realm you've been in brighton haven't you i have been in brighton my liege and i pubbed and i pinted went on down to brighton uh with my dear pal george egg who some may know from instagram and social media as the snack hacker and how we snacked we snacked on pints yeah and um we we went to First was the Great Eastern. Oh, yes. Uh, the Great Eastern, a r- wonderful pub. Yeah. Where I had a pint of... Did you do Basket Maker's Arms? Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm jumping ahead. Jump ahead in the crawl, Robin. Yeah, okay. Spoiler alert. Don't spoil the pints. So went into the Great Eastern, and they had proper job on draft, which I wouldn't usually have had, but I remembered it was at one of Emma Inch's choices. Mm, it's quite strong. Well, actually, it's not. It's 4.5%. Oh, I think it's quite strong in bottles. Well, I think there's 
there's another St. Ostel beer which I've confused with Proper Job. Anyway, so I had a pint of Proper Job, which was lovely, nice and bitter, very well kept. Congratulations to the Great Eastern. And then we headed next to the Basket Maker's Arms. What time was this? Because normally you like to sort of set off at 4.35 after having a Pizza Express at like 2.17 or something, with your bizarrely precise timings. Well, <laughs> funny you should mention that, because George has just um, acquired a pizza oven. Ooh! So he made us pizzas, and the oven gets so hot they only take 90 seconds to cook. So we had pizzas for lunch. Then I asked if I could go and have a nap. He said, yep, that's fine. So I went for a nap Lovely. in his house. <laughs> and I'd say we set, we set off around the f- sort of 4.50 mark. What, so you'd, you'd got there that morning? You got there that morning? Yeah. Had lunch and then fell asleep? <laughs> yeah, I went for a quick nap. Because I could feel myself slumping a little bit. Slumping, yeah. How, how quick are we talking? Oh, eight minutes. Eight minutes? An eight-minute nap. I was probably lying down in bed for about 25 minutes, but definitely slept for eight, eight minutes. Crumbs, okay. Um, so, yeah, then we went to the Great Eastern. Then we went to the Basket Maker's Arms, where I had a Guinness and a Hophead. Oh, lovely. And I looked in some of the little tins on the wall that Emma had mentioned, with all of the sort of wishes and hopes and dreams ascribed therein. Oh, yes. And then we went, finally, before our curry, to the um, the Heart and Hand, where we met Bailey the Pub Cat. Oh! So they've got a sort of a famous Instagram cat called Bailey, and he is enormous and very fluffy and grumpy looking, but incredibly sweet, and he was sat on the bar. And I really liked the Heart and Hand. I'm not sure I'd been there before. Now, wait a second. Is the Heart and Hand the one that's kind of more on the way to Hove? And they used to have a brewery in it. Uh, no, they're all sort of in the lanes. They're all pretty much. Oh in the... right, okay. I'm thinking of another one. Yeah, but that okay. Has it got green tiling outside? Uh, yes, it does. Yes, okay. it does. Yeah, yeah. I went there with Simon Price, friend of the show. Yeah, really nice pub. And there I had a pint of cider because I was getting ready for the curry. Yes, yes. And how was the curry? Did you have a like glass of sherry or something like you normally do? No, I had a. I had a mango cider. Ooh. But it wasn't like a sort of really... It it tasted very nice. It wasn't like one of those ridiculously sort of sweet, you know, like sort of recorderlig or old moot ones. It t- it tasted sort of slightly more genuine. It was, it was a nice curry, but it was one of those curry houses where it's slightly... Slightly trendier than a curry house, so it's like street food. Uh, okay. It's a street food vibe. Yeah, 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 I know. And whenever I go to... Uh, curry houses where there's a slight sort of modern or cool twist at some point you do often think I wish I was just in a genuine belting regular curry house yes there's a good Alistair Green video he did a while ago which was about that going to a posh Indian restaurant what do you mean three prawns yeah 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 you know it's that kind of vibe (laughs) but no very pleasant and then went back for homemade margaritas and Madeira oh stunning oh good old George good old Georgie Egg so that's where I'm at in my mind. So I'm uh, sans cans at the minute because uh been a fair few days on the bounce and one needs to allow the uh, skin to breathe. <laughs> but uh, ha- how how do we find you in pubs, Robin? Yes, pretty good, actually, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I, I went to um, a pub called The Lordship last night um, on Lordship Lane. Yeah, in East Dulwich. I, I did, drew a great diagram while I was in the pub because I was reading. I, I don't know if I could show you this diagram. You could see it here. Can you see that all right? Yes, and I saw it on your Instagram as well. Yes, yes. So on the x-axis, I've got at the top book. Yeah. And at the bottom, phone. Yeah. And on the y-axis, I've got pints. Yeah. And kind of as, as the pints consume, you start very high with the book. As more pints you consume, you get further down. And then you're just checking your phone constantly. And I think that is the problem with drinking on your own. Do you ever find that? Yeah. You start off with the best intentions. Like, I'm going to do a crossword. I'm going to read a book. And then you have a few and you're like, oh, what's this Twitter thread? Well, it's a bit like when, whenever I go, I rarely get the train because I don't really like being sort of around people and out of control of who I sit near. And yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, I just find the whole 
the whole thing about train travel quite stressful and the fact things can be late and delayed and stuff. Anyway, whenever I do, I always take like my laptop and a book and think, I'll get some work done, I'll read. Mm. And then you realise I've just looked at the BBC website for two and a half hours when I arrive. Yes, yeah. It's hopelessly overambitious about what you might read. Mm. But, you know, other than that, great. And what did you drink in the Lordship? Uh, I had um, Greenwich... Meantime, London Lager, oh. which was very, very nice. Yeah. Well, also, we were sent some beers, weren't we? Yes, I was just going to talk about this. Can I read a mist mail first? Is that all right? Yeah, of course you can. Well, I, I hadn't heard the mist arrive. I must have been bending down to deal with my particulars. <laughs> the mist arrived. Um, this is a nice um, mist mail from Martin, with a Y, with the subject local. But is it? <gasps> As my ears were undertaking their weekly trip to the moon underwater, I couldn't help picking up on a comment made by the amazing Dan Snow. First, I must commend him for attempting to support local by picking a couple of Ringwood Ales as his draft picks. I now need to add a slight fly into the Ailey ointment. Ringwood was purchased in 2007 by Marston's PLC, who in turn merged with Carlsberg in 2020. Therefore, sadly, Ringwood are no longer as local as they would like you to believe. I don't wish to single them out, so I'll add that there are an ever-increasing number of local breweries who hide their true parentage. I mean, just check out the likes of Sharps, Beavertown, and your beloved Dark Star. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, because I'm sure without acquisition, some of these family breweries would have ceased to exist or would still be very small operations. I just ask that to truly support local, look a little deeper. Yours in beer, Martin. What thoughts, John? Well... (laughs) On the surface of it, I can see Martin's point, but the ownership of a brewery doesn't really necessarily impact its locality. So, you know, the Dark Star Brewery is still where it always was. Yeah. Um, uh, even though it's now owned by Fuller's Asahi. Uh, Asahi, actually, I think. Or anyway, Asahi bought Fuller's. Fuller's had bought Dark Star, that sort of thing. Anyway, don't quote me on that, but I think that's how it went. But... What that may mean, actually, is that it enables that local brewery to flourish, to employ more people, to make more beer, to reach more places. All right, Margaret Thatcher. (laughs) Yeah, but that's, I think it's quite easy to say, oh, they're owned by a big company, so that's bad. Well, that's that's sort of how business works. Though, I, I totally get Martin's point that certain breweries perhaps hide that but you can't really hide it because it's in the press and it's a matter of public record so it's true it's true yeah i, I, I yeah I'm, I'm torn between the issue because as you say on the one hand it does get beers to a wider audience as well but i mean i, I brought that up because we got sent some really nice beers from uh, a brewery in manchester called wonder beyond brewing and some of them were absolutely brilliant so giving a shout out to a as, as Martin might say, proper local one here, because I really like their lager, 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 great name, and their table beer. But what they're known for is doing these extraordinarily strong beers. So did you try trial some of these at the weekend? I took some down to... So when I opened the box from Wonder Beyond, and also they had a lovely a letter. Shall I read from the letter? Yeah, sure. Uh, so it had a wonderful letter from Tom and Team Wonder Beyond, which is uh, comprises of Tom, Cy, Tina, Matt and Dan. And um, Tom says, been a fan of the podcast for a while and uh, being in the very privileged position of having unlimited access to very large quantities of beer, I thought I should share some of the love with you guys. But a bit about us. We're based in Manchester. We've been going for four years. It's actually our birthday on the 4th of December. Happy birthday to you all. Wonder beyond. We're a small team consisting of Tom, me, sales and distribution, Cy in operations, Matt, the head brewer, Dan, the benevolent overlord, and Tina, who does all our amazing artwork, by far the most talented of the team. We specialise, and now here's the rub. Mm. We specialise in 10% plus beers. But we do a full range as well. Uh, So something I've demonstrated in the beers I've sent. There's a huge variety here, starting out with a 3% table beer, all the way up to a 15% barley wine. Yeah, this is the one I've got right here, in fact. You've got the barley wine? Yeah, I was going to try it. I've got a small glass. I'm not, I'm not insane. Like, I think you should drink it like wine, right? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anyone at Wonder Beyond Brewing is suggesting you have, like, five cans of 15% barley wine. I should <laughs> yeah. say, um, as soon as I received the uh, consignment of beer and the letter, I called the police. <laughs> And I said, there are people 
brewing beer of a percentage, which I believe makes it hallucinogenic. Uh, however, I've since backed down. Uh, I've retracted my uh, complaint to um, Crown Prosecution Service. Uh, they said there's no evidence anyway. There's no, there's nothing to prosecute them on. Um, but I must say the, the the artwork on the cans is absolutely fantastic. Uh, so do check out my Instagram because amongst my pictures of my time in Brighton, I put up a photo of some of their cans. So, Rob, over to you. Yeah, so I've, I've got a bit of barley wine here. You can see it's a very dark, stout-like colour, but it's actually got a really sweet smell, almost like a dandelion and burdock kind of style. Really? So I've, I've obviously only poured myself a kind of small glass of wine style. So I'll have a little sip. Wow. That is, that is something else. That's delicious. Tell me. It's, it's like such a big... You know when you get a really chunky red <laughs> wine? Yeah. And your mouth just fills that explosion of flavour? Mm. That is like that. You get, you, you're getting kind of, it feels like you're getting more bang for your buck. Yes. It's, you get a real huge like mouth feel, or whatever it's called. It's really, it's kind of like quite rich, quite sweet, chocolatey. But it's not like one of the kind of trendy porters and stouts. It's, it's more kind of sweeter than that. What you said gets to the heart of it is you need to drink it like a, a wine. It's to be sipped in sort of small glasses because it's a different sensory experience that we're used to with drinking beer. So when, you know, I don't drink strong beers. And when I look at a beer that's maybe 8%, I think, God, that would knock my face off. But then... That's if you drink it as you would drink a beer, and it's not really not really made to be drunk like that. It's made to be sipped, enjoyed. Yes, I I do like that. Yeah, that is nice. Well, thank you so much to uh, Team Wonder Beyond. Uh, do check out their insane range of beers, but also their wonderful, wonderful artwork done by the incredibly talented Tina. And speaking of checking things out, folks, you can now get Moon Underwater merch. If you head to moonunderpod.com, we've got our merch up there, guys, and it's very exciting. And you can get a signed print of the uh, one of the wonderful Moon Under logos done by Jem Ward, fantastic graphic designer and son of the aforementioned George Egg. He's so, so talented. So you can get um, a pre-order signed print of the Moon Underwater pub sign, which I'm going to be uh, signing very soon. And also Moon Underwater pint glass mm. to put your cans in while you're listening to the show. They're lovely. Beautiful glasses with a lovely crescent moon. Crescent moons as L and B. We should begin to clear the ground for this week's guest. So I'm actually going to go up into the bell tower here at the Moon Underwater, Robin, and hoist the uh, sort of many and various flags... Uh, in order to signal to our guests that we are ready to receive them uh, in our threshold. Folks, uh, thank you so much for supporting The Moon Underwater. If you would like to contribute, you can head to uh, patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod to subscribe and get various benefits. But even to those who are not patrons, you are all welcome here in The Moon Underwater. And uh, we'll see you in just a short while. Robin, you know the the sort of the familiar scents we get in the moon underwater? Your honeysuckles, your jasmines, your daphnes. Lavender. The odd hint of rose water. Cedar wood. Cedar wood for a start. Sandalwood. Yeah. Uh, wood. Just wood. Sawdust. Can you sense a sort of even more exotic flavour wafting across the air? Yeah. Timothy. Musk. Musk, yeah. Musk, Timothy. I want to say myrrh. Myrrh, yeah. I want saffron. to say myrrh. Saffron, I want to say. There's a, there is a bit of saffron in there. What earthly presence would cause such an intoxicating wreath of flavours to waft through the air? But I'm suspicious that it marks the arrival of this week's guest. And very much so, I see his reflection 
marked many time and time again through the prisms of light around the front door. And in walks one of mainland UK's most extraordinary pintsman. It's Mike Bubbins. Hello, Mike. Evening, all. Evening, Robin. Evening, John. How are we all? Hello. Hello. Good. And many welcomes to the moon underwater. What a place. Thanks for the, well, thank you for the invite. Is it what you imagined it might be? Everything and more, John. Everything and oh. more. Uh, what, what, I read, what I read about this, I suppose the inspiration for this, probably really, from, uh, from George Orwell's mighty pen. It didn't, uh, nothing prepared me for this, John, I'll be honest. It is, uh, it is quite simply remarkable. Would you rather a stool, a seat, a booth or a bonquette? We can pretty much cause any of them to coalesce. What sort of stool, can I ask? Whatever you want. We've got some sort of faded cloth ones that you might find in a 1940s pub. We've got some sort of modern steel ones. And we've got some of those sort of newish leather ones with those sort of brass rivets around the uh, diameter. I'll take a sturdy uh, dark wood sort of 1950s bar stool with a velour paisley-ish faded pattern on top, please. And almost before the words had finished coming out of your beautiful mouth, there it was, right beneath thee. So rest yourself a while, Mike. We're delighted to chat to you because you are one of the great pub companions. You are a man schooled in pints and someone who has gone to the extent, and it's very rare we get to say this, of building a pub in their own house. I have built a pub, a full, fully functioning pub in my house. Yes, I have. Wow. And it's based on Minder, the pub from Based Minder. on the Winchester, more or less, on Minder, yes, with a, with, a, with, a, with a little tip of the hat to my friend Nick's dearly departed dad, Big Al, uh, where I used to drink as, a, as an underage drinker. So a little tip of the hat to Big Al and the Winchester, yeah. So if you could imagine you're actually in the pub in your house and not in the moon underwater, so... What you're going to have to do is place yourself in that most envious of positions of being in the pub within the pub. Look around you, describe what sort of things are in your your home pub, and maybe tell us the story of Mike Bubbins and the pub through some of the artefacts. Well, okay, well that's interesting. So the the pub itself, the original pub that I built in my in my house, was originally a garage, and then I, I converted it into a pub. I used to have motorcycles, and I sold the motorcycles, and I. Wanted to use the space for something a bit more me. Uh, so I, I built a pub and then I built a bar. And then that was great. That, that served me well. And then a, sort of, a couple of years down the road, a friend of mine was clearing an old gentleman's house in a place called Panath, not, not a million miles from where I am uh, right now. And uh, there was a lovely bar there from his billiard room downstairs, from the old fellow's room, billiard room. So my friend followed up and said, do you want a billiard table? I said, no, I've got no room for a billiard table. Do you want the bar from the billiard room? I said, uh, I've got a bar. He said, but look at this bar. And he sent me the photographs. A beautiful thing, right? So I said, I'd love that. So let, let's make it work. So we brought it uh, almost like a sort of uh, a reclamation project. We brought it from this old chap's house and rebuilt it in my bar. So it is a traditional three-sided bar with leather button front panels around all sides with a canopy of stained glass with glass holders cut into the bar person side of it and with a back bar for the bottles and for the optics and for everything else and hooks on the ceiling for glasses and then on the, it's adorned with things like for my stand-up comedy career john you've, you've you've seen me on stage slaying in an audience um i've got the cucumber pot from the glee club in cardiff they gave me and i've got a gordon's gin ice bucket i brought from a charity shop actually in west wales i've got an original astro wars from back in the 80 uh that was my own my only concession to sort of modern modern times is there a way that as you sit in the pub in your mind within the moon underwater that you might be able to angle your thoughts so that robin <laughs> can get a glimpse of of the sort of shadow of the pub you're in or is that not possible i could probably i could probably in my mind turn my my sort of astral mac around <laughs> yeah yeah should i should yeah. do that for a second yes okay hang on a second. i'll try it now okay it takes a little bit of um, yeah, yeah. mental effort to do this. Mental effort, yeah. And those are just the sort of the clunks and shunts of... So, oh, yeah, right. Okay. Oh, well, I mean, this is so authentic. Yeah, we're just getting a glimpse into, into Mike's mind. Beautiful stools. Those stools are stunning. 
So Art Deco stools. Lovely lighted optics. Yeah, beautiful Glasses light. dangling down. Lovely bell. Oh, and now, now the bell. There's a story behind the bell. Wait there one second. Let me come back around. It's the almost pixelated light in a way. Yeah. Because we're sort of seeing it secondhand through Mike's memory. <laughs> yeah, through Mike's memories. <laughs> so the bell is, an, is a lovely story to the bell. Are you, are you naked from the waist down? Yeah, always, always. So, um, <laughs> it's, it's a talk of the town. Um, Sorry, I just saw a glimpse of knee there. Um, a man from my local Tesco Express. So, <laughs> so the bell, my, my wife's uh, best friend is a chap called Gareth from West Wales. Now, Gareth is very much not really a, a pointsman. Lovely fella. Doesn't really like particularly drinking much. Doesn't like sport much. His, his dad is very much the opposite. Very old school Flanathley likes rugby. He's got a lovely moustache. Loves a classic motor car. Loves a pint. So when he came into my pub, he was fairly blown away by it. And I think I think he thought of me as the son he wished he'd had. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he said, "You haven't got a last orders, Bell." I said, "No, I haven't got one. No." He said, "I've got just the thing for you." So his grandfather was a firefighter, a fireman, as they called him in those days, firefighter in Swansea. Uh, I think around the time of the First World War. And when he retired, they gave him the old fire station bell, the old brass bell, which was old then. So I reckon that bell's probably 150 years old, 140 wow. years old. Yeah. For whom does it toll? A lot of bells in the, in the typical pub, I'm sure in the moon underwater as well, signal the end of the evening. I, I usually ring that at the beginning of the evening. Oh, that's and nice. I, and I pride myself on this being a pub that never shuts. So when the, the bell rings, it means we are open. So does have you got all the you got the kegs and all the draft what beers do you have on tap or is well listen to this my favorite beer i'll get to later but um i mentioned my favorite beer fairly recently and the brewery got in touch and said uh, you've got a pub in your house haven't you i said yeah they said have you got what have you got a, a draft i said well, i've got i've got a pump here but it's a real pain in the ass to use it so i just tend to have bottles and cans and, and small kegs so they said well listen we'll send i'm currently waiting for them to send the installation team around from the brewery wow and then hook me up with my choice of a lager and a and a, and a bitter, oh. and all the gas and the pumps and the and the lines. And they say, "Listen, we'll um, we'll, we'll regularly service the lines for you, and we'll when you get a low on beer, they're going to service it." Oh yeah, she gave me a mobile phone number and said, "This is your think of this as your personal beer line. Whenever you need <laughs> beer, you're just going to be ringing that at like three in the morning. How? <laughs> so I'm waiting for them to call around next week. So as of next week, I will have uh, t- I'll probably have uh, the brain the Beer I'll mention later, Brains Essay, and maybe their new lager. They've got a lager called Bayside. I'm not usually a lager man, but I like to. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a host first and foremost, so uh, I love a Bayside as well. I'd imagine. We would usually speak uh, to any guest in the Moon Underwater about what they envisage their dream pub looking like, but you sort of brought it to us. It's sort of a cross between, I would imagine, a sort of a Llanethly rugby club and Cheers. Is that about right? Oh, John. What it does a well done on Saint Leslie almost perfectly. Number one, I know you work with Ellis and I'm very impressed. And two, I've never thought of it in those terms before, but that is that's the sort of description I would expect from a man with your literary background. That is bang on. This is a paid advert from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Now, we all carry around lots of different sort of stress moments, whether it's like big or small. It could be as huge as, how am I going to pay the mortgage this month? Or, you know, I'm I'm ill, but I don't really want to talk to anybody about that because I don't want to make them feel stressed about it as well. Or, you know, it could be just something as small as, how am I going to get to school pickup in time? I've got a meeting, how do I change that? How do I move that? I forgot to cancel that. And lots of the time we keep it bottled up. And whether it's big or small, it can really start to affect us negatively. And therapy is kind of a safe space to get those things off your chest. So whether it's like coming up with plans to to organize your life a little bit better or whether it's just having someone to talk to about those things you don't want to stress out your mates or your family with. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable and entirely online. You will be matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and you can switch therapists at any time. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash distant. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash distant.
let's head into some of your choices because you've teased us with having access to one of your dream beers 24 hours a day, which is what everyone wants. <laughs> so what would be your two draft choices for your dream pub? My first draft choice would be a beer that is synonymous with where I'm from in South Wales, Cardiff. It's called Brains SA. So Brains is the, is the Cardiff brewery. They do do a Reverend James in, in quite a few parts of the UK these days. That's one of their... Uh, one of their... Hugh, Hugh Stevens said the SA stands for Skull Attack, uh, I think. That, in the old days, that was the... Yeah, yeah it actually stands, stands for Samuel Adams. But um, I think it's Sam Adams. Uh, special ale. They said, no one's really sure, to be honest with you, Robin. Because it was slightly stronger than the Brains Bitter. They, they did a Brains Bitter, a Brains Dark. And then Brains SA was the, was the stronger of the, of, the, of the brews. I mean, you've been drinking a long time, but... Mm, looks like as well. But... <laughs> There's a different sort of heritage when you've been, I think, a Welsh rugby drinker. That means something different. So could you maybe speak to the the traditions and the sort of uh, atmosphere of a, a Welsh rugby club drinking and what part Brains SA plays in that? Well, I grew up in the rugby club, so I started playing from a young age. My dad had captained the rugby club. My dad was a, was a well-known name of the rugby club and still is. So from a young age, from sort of 14, 15... 16 my dad would say to me you'd give me uh, my pocket money and he knew that i was going to the rugby club everyone at the club knew who dad was i've got a fairly unusual surname to knew who i was and he'd say listen you can you can buy beer i don't you can buy beer i'll buy you beer he said but don't drink top shelf drinks don't drink daft drinks don't go drinking pints of spirits and wines and getting ill but if you stick to beer i will happily finance it and support it so from yes yeah, so from a sort of when you start playing junior rugby and, and youth rugby in wales it is completely entwined, or certainly was, with a drinking culture. But it was all beer-based. It was tended to be jugs of beer, drinking games, sing-songs, bonhomie, repartee. It was just it's a brilliant place to be as a kid, and it was it was safe and it was and it was fun and it was uh, and you tended to drink with the opposition. And they would drink with you, so you 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 made, you made mates from all over the place. And yeah, it was very much part of that. And then then brains essay being a a Welsh beer. A lot of rugby clubs would have that in if they were. Even the free houses would have that in. That would be their their beer. So yeah, I was drinking SA and Brains Bitter from I suppose the age of fifteen or sixteen. Rugby clubs, I think, not just in Wales but you know around the country, do have a reputation as being sort of hard drinking. But what you're what you're sort of saying about that, on the one hand, very slightly irresponsible, but on the other hand, <laughs> very responsible sort of message from your dad. Is there a sort of code of conduct? For, for the drinking in those kinds of places? It was always heavy drinking volume-wise. My dad's theory was that if you, you couldn't drink enough beer to make yourself medically ill, you know. I beg to differ. Well, no. Empirical evidence. It's a great attitude. Dad yeah. thought that if you drank, if you sort of, if your parents or your, your people that looked after you were very anti-drinking and you end up, like a friend, friends of mine would go and lock themselves in toilets and drink bottles of sherry and bottles of God knows what and then in a really bad way again and stomach's pumped and all sorts of things. And I knew that if I didn't do that, if I, if I, if I just stayed at the rugby club and, and drank beer, A, that it was going to be free, which is fabulous, but also my dad's theory was that the sheer volume of beer to make you that ill, you'd either be sick or just stop drinking, so... I guess there's a certain element that with that kind of atmosphere, you're never going to be hiding your drinking. No, so that's the thing. Exactly. It's always going to be... I wore my pints on my sleeve from a young age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can, you can sneak a hip flask into something. You can't sneak a, a full pint of ale into no, no, no. It, uh, very easily. And it was lovely, you know, and, but also you're drinking as a young man, as a, as a 16-year-old young buck who thinks he's uh, bulletproof. You're drinking with and around men in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, who keep an eye on you as well. Albeit sometimes they're in a worse state than you are, but I mean, yeah, it just seemed like a nice, easy place to have it. Like I'm, I'm hoping that when my boy, I, I think youngsters drink a lot less these days. I don't think it's such a thing as it was. But I'd certainly be happy with him drinking in a pub or a, uh, a rugby club bar than, than, in, than in a nightclub or, a, or Ibiza. Or in the street or in a park or somewhere where there's not some kind of um, framework well, I think the thing is for a lot of people, like from my experience, certainly was going to university. It was about finding out your limits, finding out what you enjoyed doing. And like lots of people now, universities are so prohibitively expensive that to go there with the aim of just going out and having a good time is probably not a lot. I think fewer people do that than before. 
Whereas I think in in my time, it was definitely about kind of going out a, a lot. <laughs> I think the prospect, people say it doesn't put people off. I think the prospect of me is like a working class boy from South Wales going to university when I was, I was late going back. I was 22 when I started, but someone said to me, that's going to cost you 30 grand. That, that would never have happened. Yeah, so um, but I just I just love pubs. I love them. I, I I don't. I'm not a big nightclub man. I'm not a. I'm not a. I've, I was never the the sort of uh, let's go to Tenerife bloke. I like a pub. So, what would be your second choice to go alongside Brain's essay? Run on this one, John. As as I can I can choose whatever I like. This brings back happy memories. I, I would uh, have a on draft a Canadian beer called Molson Export. Ooh. Which was a and is a lager, quite a strong, not by modern standards, not that strong. So I suppose four and a half, five percent lager. I've had Molson. I'm sure uh, there used to be a kind of Canadian themed bar in London. I remember watching a cup final there once and drinking Molson. It was very, really nice. When I first moved to, I lived in Toronto for a bit, playing rugby over there. And my my housemate Stephen Gasparic was a great bloke, whose old man had moved over there in the fifties, I think, or the sixties, uh, from. Um, Slovakia and worked in the in the brewery. So his whole life worked for Molson's Brewery. Part of the deal was he, he got to bring his case of beer home every week as part of his pay. And then so Steve was in university. I was living with him, but Steve worked in Molson part time because his dad got him a job. We had no money. We just played rugby, but there was never any food in the house. So, the, but there was always beer. So I can remember that I would have like uh, it, it sounds fairly bleak now, but I sort of twenty years of age. I can remember having a Molson export for breakfast. I can remember having. You know, two cans of Molson Export for lunch. I can remember those things because it was it was calories and it was free, and that's all we had. And then you go out and, and then you go out and play rugby after. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the good thing about well, it's weird with Canadian rugby. They, they, they don't have, um, or they certainly didn't in Toronto have clubhouses like like a lot of places do. They do for you know out in the sticks more, but not downtown. So every club would have its own pub where they would meet. So we had a pub one season called Big Fat Tom's BFTs, which was a great pub. And yeah, I just remember drinking. Pints of Molson Export, loving it. Yeah. And there's a little pub called The Governor where I used to drink. And they always had a... So I'd come out of work. I, I worked for like a lumber company in, in doing deliveries in the week. And it was really hot work. Really hot and sweaty, like 40 degrees. And I'd come into work sometimes. I'd finish work. Go straight into The Governor pub, which is this basement pub on in Young Street in Toronto. And there was a band that looked like Hall & Oates. I remember the two fellas that looked like Hall & Oates. The covers band. And I'd always ask for the same things. I'd ask for um, Powderfinger by Neil Young and I would ask for Cinnamon Girl by Neil Young so after sort of three or four weeks of that whenever I turned up hot and sweaty for my pint of Molson Export as I walked in they would start playing Powderfinger and then Cinnamon Girl by Neil Young so it was like absolutely heavenly heavenly and it led to what I now call sorry just to finish it John what I talk about on the on the, uh, on the other podcast that I do a righteous pint just means that pint that you've earned. You know, you feel mm. like I've, I've earned this. Oh yes, like the pint that you've you've had a few days off booze or maybe a week off booze because you know you're meeting friends and it grows and grows in the mind's eye. And when you get there, say you haven't drunk Monday to Thursday, it's a Friday night, and you're like, I, a, I'm I'm being quite responsible, but also I've sort of I have earned this. You mentioned the podcast you do. During lockdown, you created, of all things, all the insane things to create, an imaginary pub. Who on earth would do a thing like that? Tell <laughs> us about how that came about. So your good friend, uh, well, certainly Collie, Ellis James. Collie. Um, Collie. <laughs> <laughs> Under DJ. Yes, yes, Minion. So Ellis James, myself, and our friend Stefan Guerrero uh, decided to open, as it were, a sports bar. I call it the socially distant sports bar. So what we would do is every week we were gonna, we originally we were going to get together and talk about the, the week's sports. I think like a sort of roundup podcast. And then of course there was no sport and there were no pubs. Nothing. Everything shut down. So we we decided well let's talk about our favourite clips from back in the day. Let's talk about our favourite books about sport. Our favourite films about sport. So the first one that we did was like I think it went out fifty six minutes long. And it was quite sporty for the first three or four episodes. And then I think about five or six episodes in it, Ellis and I went off on a tangent. I think it was about Kimbo Slice, the the the, uh, the, the backyard brawler of UFC fame. Uh, it turned out we were both big Kimbo Slice fans. And uh, it just turned into a, a, like a, a three-way conversation that you would have in a pub. So uh, although the podcast now regularly is over three hours long, the amount of 
sport has remained unchanged. I mean, there's still the same amount of sport content, but the rest is like pub chat, I suppose. And am I right in saying that you did your live shows at Hackney and that was the first time all three of you had been in the same room together? So we did, we did Saturday and Sunday night at the Hackney Empire. And the first, the sound check on the Saturday was the first time that Stefan Ellis and I had been in the same room at the same time. Like I've known Ellis a long time, I've known Stefan a long time, and Stefan's known Ellis a long time, but we've never met together. So that was quite odd. Very nice though. Very lovely, lovely gigs, followed by some lovely pubs as well, which is good. Something I've noticed about the socially distanced sports bar is how expensive some of the fixtures and fittings are in there. And how you have a unique way of um, of getting your listeners to to contribute to the upkeep of what is becoming almost an overly luxurious imaginary pub. And I I don't know if you noticed here, but the the front door of the Moon Underwater is sort of hanging slightly loose. We could do with a couple of beams replacing. So what's what's the secret to really tapping into some extraordinary revenue streams? The secret is, John, I mean, it's chemistry, number one. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> I can't be responsible for that. So, and secondly is I've got a very Welsh working class attitude towards recompense. You know, the sort of gentleman versus the players. I, I, back in the day of broken time payments, I would have been on my way to rugby league. I mean, I think when people moan about our imaginary pub making money, I do point out to those same people that the sort of naysayers that when I was travelling to actual places, uh, spending eight hours in the car to barely cover my petrol costs, no one was banging down my door then to say, let me give you some extra cash because you look like you're on hard times. So it's just all swings around about John, isn't it? I mean, uh... It's a superb point and one I'm sort of glad you've had the the soapbox to, to make here at the... <laughs> well, if you're going to ask awkward questions, get <laughs> the, deep answers. At the moon, at moon of the water, but I am glad that that opinion has been voiced but we also, with our Welsh uh, socialist bent, John, we do redistribute that as well. So we, we do sponsor sports teams and, you know, look, that like that we give, we're givers as well as takers. Uh, yeah, not so bothered about that side of things. No, um, God, I don't blame but, you. But, that. you know, I, some people... But, it is a, it's, but it's an absolute wheeze for marketing. <laughs> Let's go to the pub, 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 So let's move on to your next set of choices. These are bottles or cans. Now, I'm guessing that the... Because you are so fond of the pub and the rugby club environment, were bottles and cans a part of your your boozing youth? They weren't really, is, is the honest answer. So I'm going to bore you again with Tales of Canada because I, I was... Like I said, I, I alluded to the fact that certainly in downtown Toronto, there weren't rugby clubs to speak of. There were, there were rugby teams, but they didn't have clubs. So what we would do there, and what the teams would do, is they would buy big, cool boxes, and then you would take it in turns to stock it full of cans and bottles, take it to the game with loads of bags of ice, and then after a game, have a lovely couple of very cold cans or bottles, and then we'd go to the pub. So my sort of can and bottle drinking came from that, really. So I've got a couple of little peaches here, if I may share them with you. Oh, yes, please. Well, the first one, going back to Molson again, I'm afraid I'm, I'm, not, I'm not after freebies from Molson. John, you know that wouldn't do that sort of thing. I wouldn't <laughs> dream of it. But if they are listening and they oh, do if you're listening, to install... by all means, I mean, you know. <laughs> um, Molson Canadian, which is a, a very drinkable, lovely, lovely lager beer. So a freezing cold. I'm excited. Like like when you play rugby and it's they play a summer season because they can't play in the winter because of the snow. So when you play in July and it's 40 degrees and the humidity's high and the pitch is like cement and you sweat and the referee will typically call a break every sort of 20 minutes to try and cool down a little bit. To finish that game, reach into the cool box and out of the ice, pull a bottle of Molson Canadian and you should have a twist top. It's one of the first bottles with a twist top, not a, not a flip top. And that was like an angel dancing on your tongue it was absolutely wonderful oh my god it's almost worth playing rugby for you know do you know what it reminds puts me in mind of one of the great ice cold beer scenes of of cinema history is when they're on top of the roof in Shawshank Redemption oh what a what a great call exactly like that and Andy Dufresne has previously said something like, I think a man feels more like a man if he's got a bottle of suds in his hand after a day's work. How good is that scene? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) 
Is prison really like that, do you think? Yeah. <laughs> is prison really like that? And yeah, not that yeah. bit. I think it's the other bits are probably more realistic. You've got it bang on there, mate. To work in the sunshine, Molson Canadian. Now, the second one, the second bottle, uh, this, there's, a, there's a cider, a strong cider in Western Canada. When I, I went up to Calgary for a while to play some rugby and stay, stay with a friend over there. And uh, there's a cider they call Growers, which is an extremely drinkable apple cider. Very, very nice. 7% alcohol. And uh, so we were staying at our friend, my friend Simon and I were staying at our friend Derek's house. Derek had gone down to Oregon to source Christmas trees because he, he had a garden center. I used to buy his Christmas trees in bulk from Oregon. You don't need to know that bit. That's preamble, really. Uh, <laughs> point being, he left us in his house. He'd give us free reign of his house. Very generous man, Derek. And he had a lot of grower cider in the fridge. And Simon and I, just off the plane, with that lovely thirst, you get off a long-distance plane as well. We just started drinking this. And I like a cider anyway. It's very refreshing in the summer. This grower is lovely, lovely stuff. And we didn't really realise it was how strong it was. And uh, what followed, like, can only be described as a, as a small faces-esque three-day bender of drinking grower cider and falling asleep where we, where we sort of stopped drinking and waking up and starting again. And when Derek came back to the house on the Wednesday, I think it was, Tuesday or Wednesday, he was just met by this biblical scene of just bottles everywhere. And some of the furniture had been broken because we'd fallen into tables and chairs and things. And Simon and I were sort of lying on his, he had this enormous couch. And he's like, Jesus Christ, man, what happened? I said, oh, we had a bit of a party, Derek. <laughs> he said, fuck, fuck, who came? I was like, well, just me and Simon, really. So... <laughs> <laughs> So, oh my god, it's seven percent. That's what I'm saying. It is, but it's beautiful stuff, though. I can, I can highly recommend. You can get it in two liter bottles. I have to say, I really like the design. I mean, there. I bet when you were drinking it, they didn't have the range of ciders they have now. Do you want to hear the different ciders that they do? Watermelon and lavender, peach, orange blossom, apple, which I'm guessing is the one you had, raspberry peach, rosé, grapefruit pomelo. Clementine and pineapple, raspberry and ginger, harvest stone fruit, summer peach, Bartlett pear, wild blackberry, orchard berry, strawberry and rhubarb, field raspberry, green Come apple on. and lime, <laughs> granny smith, honey crisp apple, cranberry and pomegranate, red ruby grapefruit, oh and bing cherry. That's too many. Well, that is news, not only news to my ears, but music to my ears. Can I buy that? Yeah, you can. You can get that online. <laughs> it's I like. Um, I'm just looking at the the website in my mind, and I've got to say the photo on the website of kind of four very young, attractive people sort of seems jumping in the air for joy in a very sunlit <laughs> outdoor scene. It's very, very, very different to the scene you described there, Mike. <laughs> oh, Simon, Simon fell through an antique coffee table at one point. <laughs> They've not got that on their website. <laughs> no. And it was absolute matchwood after he'd gone through it. And uh, we were, what can only be described, just pissing ourselves laughing. <laughs> and uh, we tried to rebuild it. Like, it, it looked like something from, uh, I don't know, like... Uh, so I think it was fine on Tony Hart back in the day. Well, they do also have a link where you can email for media opportunities or inquiries. So maybe if you wanted to kit out your pub with uh, growers' cider, every single variety, maybe they might get in touch. Well, if you like, if you like an apple cider, I can thoroughly recommend a cold growers. It is very, very nice, but it is very, very strong. It's that, it's that strange mix of very drinkable and very strong, which mm. is... Which is dangerous. Well, what wonderful selections on Draft, Brains SA and Molson Export in bottles. It's a second hit for Molson with their Canadian, Molson Canadian, but it has to be retrieved from an icebox full of ice packs after a long slog of hot rugby. And Ooh, finally... Sounds quite erotic, if you ask me. Yeah, grower's cider. But we take a break now from kitting out your dream pub to... Increase our brain cells with the Moon Underwater pub quiz. Robin. Okay, everybody. Pens out, eyes down. It's time for the quiz. He played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger. That wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey have been deducted five points. Mike, how, what are your feelings on pub quizzes as a pubman? 
I love a pub quiz, and I, mm. I, I rarely lose, Robin, to be honest. Really? <laughs> this week at the Moon Underwater pub quiz, it's about your friend and mine, Pasta. And there, there are no prizes as ever. What I'm going to do, actually, is I'm going to give you the origins of the names of five pasta shapes in English. And I want you to tell me the Italian name. For example, but I'll, I'll say butterflies or action man bow tie, and you say farfully. You know, you know, you know what I mean. So I'm going to read them out, and then we can go through the answers. This is for the listeners. It's for you, Mike. It's for John. It's for everyone who's taking part. So are you, are you ready for the quiz? Right. So the first one, little ears, little ears. Okay. Right. The second one, little worms. Little worms. What could that be? Third one is knot of wood. What could a knot of wood be in pasta speak? Knot of wood. And then we've got little tongue. Little tongue. Think about tongue. What's another word for that? Um, Don't forget I said that. And um, the last one, the fifth one, priest stranglers priest stranglers so there we go we've got little ears little worms knot of wood little tongue and priest stranglers oh it's tricky because i'm concerned that i don't actually know the i i I don't know i can see the shapes but i don't know the actual pasta names but it's a very good quiz i'll say you'll definitely have heard of three of the five if not four well i'm not going to cheat i was gonna i was gonna i thought i'm not gonna cheat with this one i'm gonna try to rack my brains sure Okay. Well, folks, while you get your minds around little ears and little tongues, we're going to end part one uh, of our time here with Mike Bubbins and his dream pub creation. And we'll see you back for part two very soon. But just a reminder that if you would like to remove the adverts and also get access to other benefits, you can head over to moonunderpod.com to support the Moon Underwater through Patreon. And uh, we greatly appreciate all of the pennies put towards the upkeep of this fine, desirous, mythical establishment. And I refer you to Mike's very moving entreaty about the importance of uh, remuneration. <laughs> remuneration? No, it's remuneration. Rem- is it remuneration? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was remuneration. No, it's not. It's, re- it's remuneration. Uh, so, ponder on those pastory cues, and we will see you back in part two. So that's the end of part one. To hear part two, search for The Moon Underwater on your podcast provider of choice. And we do hope that you don't hold it against us, that we gate crashed your socially distant sports bar. I've not personally been invited myself, and that's fine. I see enough of Ellis. I really, really do. But I wish him well. I wish everyone, I wish all the boys well. I hope the bar continues to flourish and go from strength to strength to strength.